0: seated and good morning. This morning's gospel passage from Luke chapter 10 is the account of the second missionary expedition recorded in the New Testament. The first one is recorded one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, when Jesus sent out the twelve. Here in Luke 10, he sends out 70 others. There's significance in these numbers. The 12 were symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 70 are symbolic of the 70 Gentile tribes that are recorded in Genesis chapter 10. So the good news was first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Now, last week's gospel passage, where Jesus taught so forcefully on the urgency and the priority of discipleship and of service for the kingdom of God as a kind of prelude to today's passage. Jesus is journeying toward Jerusalem from Galilee. On the way, we read that he appointed 70 others, that is, other than the 12 apostles. He appointed them to go ahead of him into every town and place where he would be passing, on his way to Jerusalem. And notice he sent them in pairs, because the book of Deuteronomy declares this, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Jesus begins his instructions to the 70 with an encouragement to pray for workers for the spiritual harvest field that is the world. And that, of course, is still a valid admonition today. Pray for vocations. But then he advises them of the real danger that is involved in what they are undertaking. In verse 3, go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Well, sign me up, right? Because, you know, when you think about that statement, what Jesus was assigning them to was unheard of. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Think about the nature of lambs and the nature of wolves. Lambs flock together, and if a wolf comes into their midst, it usually ends up in disaster for at least one of them. So never would lambs knowingly put themselves into the midst of a pack of wolves. But metaphorically, that is exactly what Jesus was doing. He was sending them into territories and among people who were bent on their destruction. More and more, for the true disciple of Jesus Christ, that is becoming an apt description of our world today. As you and I go out into the world to witness by our words and by the way we live our lives, we witness to the love and to, and to the redemptive truth of the Lord what we find is that the world is more and more becoming a hostile environment. It's hostile to the gospel and to the church, and hostile to those who espouse the gospel and who stand for the church. Make no mistake about it. The militant segments, for example, of the gay rights movement and of, the, and of pro-abortion activists, along with their allies in the mainstream media and among the Hollywood elites, as well as the aggressive secularists and socialists and Marxists in the highest echelons of government, see traditional Christianity in general and the Catholic Church in particular as a dangerous enemy to be silenced or even destroyed. But Jesus has called us, as ambassadors of his kingdom, to confront this godless culture head on. How? Not with hatred, not with worldly might, but with holiness, with love, and with a humble but unwavering commitment to the truth and all lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus emphasized the urgency of the mission of the 70 by instructing them to travel light and not to greet anyone on the way. He also told them, essentially, not to waste their time uh, or, or their blessing on the unwilling or those who are disinterested or who get angry or argumentative. Why? Because he didn't send them out to win an argument. He sent them out to win the lost. And he also told them not to go from house to house, merely socializing. The task at hand was too pressing for that, too urgent for that. Once again, the lesson for us is urgency. The times they lived in, the times we live in, demand a sense of urgency. You can feel it, can't you? You can feel the urgency in the air. They were and we are heralds of nothing less than the kingdom of God. The all-important message of this pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, pre-Pentecost missionary journey was, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And of course, the obvious implication of that message was, therefore, receive the, the kingdom. Receive it into your land, receive it into your homes, receive it into your hearts by receiving the king himself. Again, that message is as timely today as it was then. The kingdom of God advances today in people and in their places as men and women receive the person and the lordship of Jesus Christ into their hearts and come into the church and commit their lives to the way of of discipleship. And as they enter the kingdom the kingdom enters them. Now, beginning in verse 10, what we hear is a harsh condemnation from Jesus for those who will reject the kingdom. Here's what he says. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than on that town. First of all, in Jewish law, whenever a Jew traveled through heathen territory, he or she was required to carefully clean the defiled dust of that territory off of his sandals, his clothing, and his person, Before re entering Jewish territory. So, the implication of Jesus' instruction in verses 10 through 12 is that those who do not receive these disciples and their message are henceforth to be considered heathen, whether Jew or Gentile. In other words, they have defiled themselves by their rejection of the King and his kingdom. And then Jesus' remarks get even more specific. And more ominous as he names names. He names specific towns that have already rejected him. Towns where he has preached, towns where he has performed miracles, and they've turned and rejected him. Now, this is actually recorded in verses 13 through 16, which inexplicably is left out of our gospel passage this morning because it's right smack in the middle of it. But here's, here's what it says. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. You may not be aware of this, But these impenitent cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum no longer exist, except as archaeological digs, ruins. They've been obliterated from the landscape. And here's the point. Jesus makes it very clear that there will be a time of terrible judgment on those who are extended a golden opportunity to repent and who refuse to do so. And he underscores the authority of the 70 by saying that those who reject them, reject him. Now, brothers and sisters, whenever I read these words, it makes me shudder for America. Because in this, on this Sunday, as we are about to celebrate the 246th anniversary of our founding as a nation... Our beloved country, too, I believe, stands on the precipice, the precipice of God's judgment. It might be hard for the natural mind to comprehend that. We are still, after all, at least for the time being, the world's dominant superpower, militarily, politically, and economically— But I think you would agree that America is rapidly losing her soul. For too long our nation has shaken its fists in the face of God in countless ways. America, a land permeated with the free and open preaching of the gospel as no other nation has in modern history has in a matter of decades been transformed into a post-Christian society. America, a land blessed with more food, more resources, more natural wealth than any nation in the history of the world has officially denied acknowledging the God who is the source of her blessing and has all too often banished all references to him from the public square and from public institutions. America, a land founded on the premise of every human being's right to life, has methodically killed 65 million of her own children in their mother's wombs. America, a land settled and founded on the building block of the family, has contravened the natural law, the word of God, the teaching of the church, and thousands of years of Judeo-Christian moral and cultural consensus by presuming to normalize same-sex marriage and transgenderism. America, a land that from its founding became a welcoming beacon of religious liberty to the world, is now beginning to see her own government turn on the church and encroach on that liberty in countless and undeniable ways. America, a land founded largely by righteous men with righteous ideals, has turned from righteousness to call evil good and good evil. And so if the Son of God said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum, what will he say to America? The answer to that question and its implications for our beloved nature's, nation's future are yet to unfold, but for God's people, for you and for me, the call is clear. Recognize the urgency of this moment. Commit now to the pressing priority of framing your life around holiness and love and an unapologetic stand for the truth. Enter into or strengthen your relationship, your personal relationship with Jesus. Remain faithful to his church, faithful both to her teachings and, when necessary, to her courageous defense. Pray for the Holy Spirit to sovereignly bring spiritual renewal and revival To the heart and soul of America, and let us be instruments of that renewal. Commit yourself to the way of discipleship, to showing and leading others in the way of discipleship, declaring to them by word and action, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Blessed is that nation, proclaims the, the psalmist. Whose God is the Lord. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. The alternative to that is simply unspeakable. Let us be that generation of Christians, of faithful Catholics, that takes a solid and consistent and unwavering stand for the kingdom of God in this time and this place. Let us be that generation that issues the clarion call to all who will hear the kingdom of God has come near to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.